From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch. This is where we kind of step back uh, every so often from the, the politics and the policies of Washington, D.C., and we actually talk with the, uh, the people. Uh, those that shape the policies, what makes them tick? Why are they here? Uh, what we have found, uh, what I have found over the years of doing this program is that, you know, we have a lot of these uh, the folks on, they come on, they talk about policy. We, we Sometimes we'll get in a little bit of, you know, personal conversation about their lives. And what amazes so many of our listeners is how many men and women of deep abiding faith are here in Washington, D.C. And in fact, that's the reason they came here. And so we, we had this idea uh, several months back to do these faith and freedom editions of Washington Watch so that um, uh, people can uh, just get a, a better understanding of their leaders here in Washington, D.C. So coming up on this edition, we have the opportunity to visit with two strong Christian leaders on Capitol Hill. First, we'll talk with uh, Randy Weber of Texas. And then later, we'll be joined by a longtime friend of mine, Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana. I've known him since he was in law school. But I'm going to start first with uh, Congressman Randy Weber. On his 20th birthday, Randy saw a group of uh, Christians whom he described as having something he didn't have, and he wanted it. His conversion experience, coming to Christ, that followed that, turned his life completely around. After college, he married his wife, Brenda, in 1981 and started his own heating and air company. He said building his business required what he, what his grandfather called good old-fashioned Texas horse sense and a strong work ethic. The same year, Ronald Reagan became president, and the Iranians immediately released the hostages from the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. President Reagan's decisive leadership inspired Randy to get involved in politics. He worked hard for years at the grassroots level of politics, serving as a precinct chairman, elections clerk, elections judge, and city councilman until 2008. He won election to the Texas State House. His first year in office, the Texas Conservative Coalition named him the most conservative member of the Texas House of Representatives. Then in 2013, Randy became a member of Congress when he was elected to the 14th District of Texas, which is south of Houston. His uh, his whole life, he's lived in a 20-mile radius uh, down by the Gulf Coast. In 2020, he received FRC Action's True Blue Award for Defending Faith, Family, and Freedom. Congressman Weber serves on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee and the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology, where he is the ranking member of the Energy Subcommittee. And by the way, this is the committee where a lot of the life issues come through, so it's an important committee. He is also a member of the Congressional Prayer Caucus and the Values Action Team, which FRC set up many, many years ago. Representing Texas's 14th Congressional District, Randy lives with his wife, Brenda, of 44 years in uh, Pearland, uh, Texas. Uh, he and his wife are active in their local church. They have three children and eight grandchildren. Randy, welcome back to the program. Well, thank you, Tony. It's uh, an honor and a privilege to be back. Well, as I, as I said, uh, this is a little bit of a different program. I'm not going to ask uh, what policies you're working on or what legislation you've introduced. I, I just want people to hear your story. I, I, just, I touched on it just a bit. But but kind of share with us that conversion experience of when you came to Christ and the influence that had on your life. Well, how much time do you have, Tony? <laughs> well, we've got about uh, 12 minutes remaining in this segment, but we're going to come back. So take your time. Well, listen, I, I will tell you that Jesus is an awesome God. 
He is the only true way. You know the scripture, John fourteen six. No man comes to the Father. He's the way, truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Uh, I didn't grow up in a church, Tony. Uh, I grew up in a strong work ethic family, as you alluded. My grandfather and my father had the same work ethic. Uh, they came, by the way, my grandfather came over on the boat from Germany in 1903. And my grandmother, too, came over from Germany. A different boat. But anyway, um, so I was a good guy. I mean, as far as my work ethic was concerned, but I got into drugs, quite frankly, in high school. You know, First Corinthians 15, Paul writes, bad company corrupts good good morals, and so uh, I began doing drugs. I was a flower child of the 60s, quite frankly, and, you know, we, unlike some elected officials, I actually inhaled, <laughs> you know, at least I'll admit that, and got into all kinds of things, pills and, and acid, LSD, and uppers and downers. On July 2nd, as you talked about, 1973, on my 20th birthday, I came face-to-face with Jesus Christ, who turned my life around. Uh, I did. I was at a church of Redeemer, Christian church in Houston, Texas. Those people were on fire for the Lord. They had something that I didn't have. And uh, my girlfriend that was with me doing drugs, quite frankly, we were we were actually selling drugs, believe it or not, marijuana, uh, and some of the, uh, some of the pills and stuff. And anyway, she, a friend of ours, stopped by and said, "Like for you to try something?" I thought he was talking about drugs. I said, "What is it?" His name was Jeff Wilson. And I said, he said, well, why don't you go to church? Well, I didn't want to go to church. I said, Jeff, you're crazy. <laughs> but my girlfriend that I was living with then, uh, that, that time, of course, did. And she got saved and kicked me out of her apartment, Tony. And, and I began to search things. You know, something is powerful going on here. And I was working as a welder's helper in a construction company. So I began to play church. I quit smoking, drinking, cussing, telling bad jokes, that kind of thing, for four months. That was uh, July. That was January. That's probably February to May of '73. And uh, anyway, I came home on my birthday. Uh, the guys at the construction company were just ragging me, unbelievable. They said, "You got to go out and have some more, have some beer with us." You had drank a long time. You quit smoking. You quit testing. What's wrong with you? Well, I gave into their pressure on July 2nd, 1973. We went back to the beer joint and we're back to drinking, picking cigarettes, back to cussing, telling bad jokes. I came home to Tony Perkins. Barbara was with my mother fixing a, a, a birthday dinner. And uh, my mom gave me a living Bible for my birthday. Never had one. I walked down the hall uh, into my, toward my bedroom, and the Lord said, read Ephesians 5. Now, Tony, I, I didn't know the scripture. I didn't have a Bible. And so I had to look at the table of contents. Where was Ephesians? Go to six. Uh, five chapters, of course it has six. Turn to the part where he talks some of the drunkers, idolaters, sexual immorality, uh, or some of you were. Coarse jokes, dirty stories, you can look it up. These aren't for you. And then I said, I got down on my knees in my own bed, and I said, dear Lord, you are speaking directly to me. Please come into my heart. Forgive me for my sin, be my personal Savior. Got up off the, cried my eyes out, got up off the floor, walked into the a kitchen where Barbara and my mom were fixing a dinner for us. Barbara was setting the table. And uh, the phone rang in the kitchen. One of the old rotary dial phones, believe it or not, in my parents' house. And it was Jeff who invited us. It was uh, actually, there was two Jeffs involved. One of the Jeffs had been with us at church. And Tony Perkins, Jeff said in his deep voice, Randy, I'm just calling to tell you how glad I am you just got saved. You cannot make this stuff up. 
Wow. And I spun around the barber and I said, Barbara, did you call Jeff? She said, Jeff, where's Jeff? Jeff Coffin or Jeff Wilson? I said, this is Jeff Coffin. He knows I just got saved. She said, well, praise the Lord. So I, I, I turned to, you know the scripture, John 3, third chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he says, what must a man do to hurt control, you know, the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, unless a man is born again, you cannot see that kingdom. Well, for Randy Weber, I was born a second time, born again on my regular birthday, July. Born the first time, July 2nd, 1953. Born the second time, July 2nd, 1973. I've never been the same. Wow. What a powerful story. Of uh, the, re- I mean, of the redemptive nature of God, the power of His grace and of His mercy, but also uh, the power of friends uh, being uh, just persistent in in, in sharing faith and, and just modeling that. I mean, that, that's a powerful story. Absolutely, the church. When the church is the church, when we will do what Jesus leads us to do, commands us to do, wants us to do. You know, He lives to intercede, intercede for us every day. Right, what Hebrews says. Uh, when we will do the things he's praying for us to do, the church will grow. He will be glorified. He will be honored, and the church will grow. So after that point where there was this, it sounds like a radical change in your life when you came to know Jesus Christ, how did how did Randy Weber change after that? What, what, what became your focus? Well, a couple of things happened. Uh, and by the way, just parenthetically, I had friends even 10 years later that I hadn't seen since high school that said, hey, man, if you got any good stuff we can get from you? And I'm like, yeah, boy, do I. I've got something that everybody needs <laughs> <laughs> and would share the Lord with them. But what happened was uh, Barbara went in, my girlfriend went into the ministry, and I decided to go back to college, felt the Lord leading me to go back to college. And that's where I met my bride, Brenda Gill. Of course, we got married. I met her in November of 74. Uh, she lived in Lee City, Texas. I lived in Fairland. By the way, we live in Friendswood now. But anyway, um, so we dated two years, got married. And, of course, um, as you already pointed out, um, well, we actually, I was going to go to law school, quite frankly. And uh, we were going to wait five years to have kids. I met her at Alvin Junior College. I, I failed out of my first two years in college because all I did was drink and run around and do drugs and, and all that party and all that kind of stuff. And so when I, when I got saved, I buckled down at Tony Perkins. I wound up with this. I, I had the first year I had the four F's and a D on my transcript because I forgot to drop classes. I just wasn't interested. I was just not not engaged at all. But I wound up with a 3.2 after graduating from the University of Houston at Clear Lake because I made straight A's after I got saved. Uh, Brent and I got married in 76. We were going to wait five years to have kids. I was going to go to law school, and I tell people we were going to wait five years, and we were married uh, 11 months, three weeks, and one day, and Miss Kristen Nicole was born. Wow. <laughs> so uh, God had a plan. You know, three kids, eight grandkids. We, I started our admission company, and, and I was very, very active. When I saw Reagan on TV, as you talked about, he believed in freedom. He believed in smaller government, lower taxes, individual Individual freedom, Tony, here's what people forget. He also believed in individual responsibility. And, you know, people forget that. They want the freedom, but they don't necessarily want the responsibility that comes along with it. That's right. And I told my bride, Brenda Gill, I said, you know what, I'm going to work for him when he runs for re-election. 
So in 83, I got involved, precinct chair, election clerk, election judge. Then I ran for city council in Paraland six years and did two unsuccessful uh, election attempts, one at county commissioner, one at drainage district, well, three, drainage district commissioner, 98, and then one as state rep when our state rep died in office in 2006. I spent five thousand. I'm sorry, seven thousand dollars on the commissioner race. I spent fifty-five hundred dollars on the on the county. This I mean the district, the range district race, and seventy thousand dollars on the state rep race, all out of my pocket. And I said, well, this just ain't for me. Yeah. And uh, but uh, the Lord was gracious. The guy that beat me for state rep didn't run again. They called me and said, Randy, you need to run for this. So that's been kind of my journey. And then of course Ron Paul announced. He was retiring uh, in 2011, July of 2011, and my chief of staff called said, Randy, have you heard the news? What's that? Ron Paul's retiring. I said, well, good for him. She said, well, no, no. People are calling up here and saying, you need to run. And I said, for Congress, Cara, you have lost your mind. Do I look stupid? Don't answer that. I said, I am not running for Congress. You know, typical male, too fast response. And she said, well, can't we really talk about it and pray about it? So we got the other Brenda in our district director. I said, okay. Well, let's let's hold that thought. Let, let's right. hold that thought because we're, we're yep. going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to hear what happened as a result of those yep. prayers. And also, I, I, Randy, I want to hear about how your walk with the Lord and your Christian faith shapes how you approach your duties as a member of Congress. So, folks, stick with us. Randy Weber, my guest, we're going to come back on the other side of this break with more of this Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All of these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Freedom edition of Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to miss any of our program, you can catch it all later. It's archived, TonyPerkins.com. You can find out more about our guests there as well. And my first guest today, we were just talking in the first segment with uh, Congressman Randy Weber. He represents Texas's 14th congressional district. And we, we, we left off at a point where he was serving in the House there in Texas. And... Uh, uh, Ron Paul announced his retirement, and he was contacted about running. He dismissed it at first, but then said, let's pray about it. So, Randy, pick it up from there. Well, thank you, Tony. Uh, yeah, we so we, we met and talked about it. I said, <laughs> you know, last thing I want to do, I owned an air conditioning company that pretty much ran itself. My bride taught fourth grade. She did for 27 years. And, uh, I could get away from the summer. She was out of school. We could get in our travel trailer we could go camping anywhere in Texas with the grandkids, and we were just having a good time doing it. And when this came up, I said, "No way, Jose! I, I'm, I don't, I, you know, I look stupid." But anyway, uh, we said, "All right, well, we'll grab, we'll have dinner, we'll talk, we'll pray." And then, so, Brent and I began a prayer journey. Of probably one to two weeks. We said, "Lord, is this your next step for us? You know, do we? Do you want us to do this? We got we're a secure seat in the Texas House of Representatives." I feel like we're making a difference there. And is this where you want us? And I got to be honest, Tony. I said, you know, some days I go, no, nah, I just don't, I just don't think that's, I'm not, just not getting that, that message, you know, and Brennan said the same thing. And finally, after about a week and a half, we said, you know what? We think this is the Lord's message after having spent time praying together over it. And so we said, okay. Uh, we will, we will invest money in it. We, we put a lot of our own money in running. And uh, we were, there was nine people to replace Ron Paul in the Republican primary, and then former Congressman Nick Lamson on the Democrat side, and the five term. And so we said, "Okay, Lord, if this is you, then this is what we're going to do." And Tony, we stepped out in faith. We didn't live in the district; we lived three miles from the district line. And our good Republican friends said, "Hey, you know what? We think about carpet bagging. We want you to live in the district." We sold. Our house, the one I had built for Brenda Gill in 1992, the one that she, her dream home, and we we moved into the district before we ever won the primary. Wow. We were, yeah, we were we were just totally all in. We felt like it was of the Lord He could use us there, and that if it was His will, we would be there. And we weren't 
really overly concerned about stepping out of the house, the, the house I built for Brenda. So uh, we won. Uh, we got into a runoff, and we won that runoff. Uh, that was the election season that was postponed because of a lawsuit back in 2012. The primary was supposed to be in March. It was April 29th. The runoff was July 31st. Tony, we went out and knocked on doors and shared our message. And, man, was it hot. Can you imagine walking and knocking on doors July 31st? Yeah, I did it in August in Louisiana when I ran for office. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, we come up here and you you find that there are believers up here. Yeah. uh, And and you find that there's a lot of policy. Obviously, Texas is a very conservative state, as Louisiana, I think, is, too. And so we want family values. We want, uh, you know, Texas. When I was in the Texas House, we passed probably one, if not the strongest, anti-abortion law in the the country. Certainly the strongest anti-abortion law in the country. No tax dollars spent. You know, Planned Parenthood went berserk, obviously. I remember. Oh, yeah. And so uh, you come up here and you go, look, we want to bring those same Texas values up here. And you find that it's even a it's even a tougher battle up here because yeah. there's 50 states, most of them not conservative. And so it's okay. You know, we, we want to come in here and stand strong for family values, for the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage. Less debt, less government control, freedom of religion, um, and freedom, you know, the freedom to worship however you want to. Right. And so it's been a battle up here, but I, I think, you know, as long as I'm doing what the Lord would expect of me, as much as I humanly possibly can, doesn't mean that somehow, sometimes I don't get tired or go, you know, gosh, what am I, am I, what was I thinking? <laughs> Well, Randy, I want to talk. I want to talk about the, the the kind of the motivating factor in, in you know you've come up here. You're in Washington, bringing those same values that, that obviously is at your core of who you are in Christ and those things that are important. But let's talk a little bit uh, in the in the few minutes we have remaining about the role your faith plays as a member of Congress. Because you know you, you talked about religious freedom. There are many that would say you should check your faith at the door of public service. It should have nothing to do with the decisions you make. What do you say to that? Yeah, very simple. I have a very simple scripture for them, Tony. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me before men, of him will I be ashamed of my, uh, before my Father who is in heaven. And as you know, Jesus paid way too much of a price for Randy Weber for me to ever let that happen. And I tell people I'm I'm unashamed, unabashedly Christian. I follow Jesus. Uh, he is the only true God. You know, read your scripture. You know, it's pretty simple. Mohammed died. He's in the grave. Who wants to worship, you know, a fake God? Somebody that's in the grave. I can die and be in the grave. But, of course, as you know, Jesus conquered death. The last entry to be destroyed, Paul writes, is death. You know, the old grave words I sing, words I victory. And so I'm never ashamed when people say that to me. I said, no, I'm sorry. I just can't go there. Yeah, I I think it's so important as believers, and it's one of the reasons we share the stories of uh, so many men and women uh, here in Congress that are men and women of deep faith, is so that other people across the country see Christians in Congress, and so we can have Christian plumbers and not be ashamed of a Christian policeman who are not ashamed of their faith, uh, you know, Christian bankers who are not afraid to display their faith. I think it's it's extremely important that whatever we do, we do all for the glory of God, and that's a part of religious freedom. And that's, you know, as we're about to celebrate Thanksgiving, 400 years ago, yep. the pilgrims came here for that very concept, 
to live our lives according to our faith. Important concept. That's right. Randy Weber, I want to thank you for joining us. Great to be with you, and uh, thanks so much for your leadership on Capitol Hill. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you to the Family Research Council, because y'all are a stalwart for us, and we really appreciate the work y'all are doing. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Congressman Randy Weber, 14th Congressional District of Texas. Check him out. Go to the website, TonyBerkins.com. He's uh, one of our true blue stalwarts on Capitol Hill defending faith family and freedom. All right, coming up next, you're going to hear from a a very good friend of mine. I've known him for many, many years. Congressman Mike Johnson, who represents the northwestern portion of Louisiana. He joins us next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The Federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. Go to frc.org slash pro-life maps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash prolifemaps. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to this Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, I've known my next guest for, uh, I think, over 20 years, back to when he was a young law student and I was a young state legislator. Mike Johnson, a regular guest on Washington Watch, was first elected to Congress in December of 2016 to represent the 4th Congressional District of Louisiana. He was elected by the widest margin of victory in uh, that region for uh, probably more than 50 years. And he's enjoying his recent decisive reelection. 
In 2018, his colleagues elected him chairman of the Republican Study Committee, the largest conservative caucus in the House of Representatives. Now, prior to his election to the Congress, he served a term in the Louisiana legislature. Now, when you're, you're from Louisiana and you say you're in politics and that you served a term or two, you always have to specify in office. Uh, lest I'd be confused with prison. (laughs) Um, Prior to public office, Mike served as a constitutional attorney, focusing heavily on religious freedom. He was an attorney with both Alliance Defending Freedom and First Liberty, and also served as dean of a startup law school at Louisiana College during the same time I served as a trustee for that institution. Mike grew up in Shreveport, where his late father was a fireman and modeled public service for him and his family. Mike and his wife, Kelly, have been married since 1999, And I believe it's in a Louisiana covenant marriage, if I'm not mistaken. And they have four children, which I call a good start. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Tony. Thanks so much. Yes, we are one of the first covenant marriages, that law that you wrote. And, um, you know, it's worked out. She stayed with me this whole time. 20 years. Uh, Actually, 21 years. Doing pretty good. And you've got a wonderful, wonderful wife, uh, wonderful family, and uh, so so glad that uh, you're in Congress in the in the role that you are in the leadership role. Uh, but I don't want to talk a whole lot about that to begin with. I, I, I kind of want to go back. You know, we we met uh, like I said over 20 years ago when you were a law student at LSU. But I, I want to talk about your your faith journey. You know, when. Um, People here, members of Congress on this program, lawmakers, governors, uh, others, state legislators, you know, we're talking policy. But they like to hear what motivates people. And uh, just just share with our listeners, Mike Johnson, your, your faith journey, how you came to Christ and how that's influenced and guided your life. Yeah, well, thanks. I love to talk about that. I, I was blessed. I was raised in a Christian household and... Um, my parents, I was actually the conception of a teenage pregnancy, my uh, parents' junior year in high school, and they, uh, they, they, they dropped out, decided to have me and keep me, and that's why I'm so pro-life today, Tony. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a living example of, um, faithfulness, and so, uh, they just, uh, trusted God. My dad went to work early. They didn't, uh, they didn't finish high school then. He went back later, got his GED, but, um, I was, uh, I don't have any memory of not uh, being a Christian. I, I was, um, I got saved when I was seven years old. I got baptized in a, in a horse trough out behind our old country church in northwest Louisiana. And um, I was just raised to, to know and understand and believe that faith is very real. And it was just part of, you know, the fabric of our family and who we are. And um, in 1984, as you know, my dad was an assistant chief um, on the fire department in Shreveport, Louisiana. And he was a training officer. And September 17, 1984, he went in to work on a hazardous materials leak in a cold storage plant, and the building blew up, and he was burned 80% of his body, third-degree burns, and uh, was given a 5% chance to live. His co-captain died in the fire, and um, it was a terrible tragedy, and and God miraculously saved my dad's life, and and he had a long journey back. Uh, He lived another 30 years. He was in in pain uh, every day, but... but, um, he survived it. It was miraculous, and there was a book written about his his faith journey called "Up from the Ashes." And um, you know, I, I just I just learned early on. I was 12 years old when that event happened. I was the oldest of four kids in my family. I saw that our faith was real. That, that in, in my view, God saved my dad's life. It was uh, a miraculous thing, and everybody acknowledged it to be such. And I just knew that prayer worked. And so I, that's never left me, and it's, it's been with me my whole life. You look at those defining moments, and they really do 
shape us. I mean, here you saw a couple of things. One, you grew up with a father who learned to work hard, um, successful at it, willing to serve, firemen, first responder, difficult, dangerous job. Uh, But then you see how God uh, intervenes and how faith is, is real. When you, um, I, I want to get to, we're almost up against a break, and we're going to come back for a longer segment here. When you look at your role in public f- service, no doubt that that example of your father played a role. But I, I want to talk about also how your faith, your following of the Lord Jesus Christ brought you into the political arena. Because, you know, Mike, a lot of people say, well, if you're, if you're a Christian, you really shouldn't be involved in politics because it's dirty. It's, it's a corrupt business, especially as I, I joked it. Coming in, uh, in Louisiana, it's not always been a noble profession uh, to be in politics. It, it, yeah, that's exactly right. That's what we're raised to uh, to believe. And in the old days in Louisiana, as you know, it really was a corrupt business. But, uh, you, you know, honestly, my friend, you were a great influence on my life. I saw you when I was in law school. You mentioned how far back we go. And I, I saw you as a young state legislator. And I remember that your, your, your banner and your motto when you ran for office was raising the, the standard. And um, and that resonated with me because I felt that same call in my life. And um, I, in, in so many ways, Tony, you were a huge influence on my life. And I I saw that you could do it. And, and um, people like Woody Jenkins, who was kind of a mentor of yours, and, and there were a handful of legislators and people that I knew who did it right and did it well. And they followed the Lord first. And it, and it, it, it showed in all their work and their life and their family. And um, that was a great encouragement to me, and, I, and I, my study of Scripture and my understanding is the same as yours, that God calls us into all these arenas, and particularly this one, if you feel a call to do it. That's where the light needs to be shown the brightest. Absolutely. Let's hold it right there. I want to come back and talk more about that on the other side of the break. Mike Johnson, Congressman of the 4th Congressional District of my home state of Louisiana, is with us. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. When President Donald Trump announced his nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, critics were quick to point not to this qualified nominee's record, but rather to her religious affiliations as a reason she ought not be allowed to serve as a Supreme Court justice. In an increasingly secular culture, it is not only the media that views faith as problematic for those appointed to judicial positions. Senators, particularly Democrats, have inappropriately interrogated nominees with comments and lines of questioning spanning theology, congregation membership, and associations with faith-based nonprofits, all seemingly with the intent to discredit the nominees. 
Family Research Council recently released a publication addressing this important issue. To learn more about what the Constitution says about religious tests, visit frc.org slash religious tests. That's frc.org slash religious tests. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash human sexuality. This is Washington Watch, the Faith and Freedom edition of Washington Watch. If you miss any of the program, you can catch it all later at TonyPerkins.com, all archived right there, my guest. Uh, In this uh, second half of the program, Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana's 4th Congressional District, um, outgoing chairman of the Republican Study Committee, and a longtime uh, friend. We were talking about kind of your journey into politics. And, and in fact, I remember, in fact, we've done this together. We've done a course uh, we've taught on God and government, and I did that course years ago, and you and Kelly uh, were in that. I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but... I mean, you, engagement in the culture is really an extension of our faith, and I think that's the way you've approached it. Well, that's exactly right. You know, the, the way we explain it to people, and we, we still lead that God and Government Seminar, Kelly, and I do that on Sunday evenings at churches around our, our region, is trying to explain these, these concepts to God's people because so many people have misconceptions about it. But, look, I, the way I explain it is that, you know, John 3.16 is, is the beginning, not the end. And, and we, uh, when we accept Christ and, and we uh, put on that mantle, so to speak, to him and many gifts are given much as expected. And God calls us, the Great Commission is, go ye forth, of course, and share that good news and make disciples of all the nations. But um, there's a cultural commission that goes along with that as well, as, as we've all always explained. And that is to, you, you don't put that light under a bushel basket, you take it out and, and, and you have its influence in the culture and the and the world around you and and you, you try to bring the, the principles of righteousness and truth and brotherly love to bear in every sphere um, of influence that you have and so god gives every single one of us a platform you know some people are in politics some people uh do any manner of career and and hobbies and you know in your neighborhood wherever you are we're all called to be faithful and to live out those principles and you know, we're we're blessed to be able to do it in Congress right now. But as I say all the time, if God calls me home to start a lawn business, I'll do that with equal fervor. I just want to be faithful to what he's put before me. Well, and that is in keeping with the word, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. And and that's, I think, we're, we're to do everything. Is, in fact, that's the, the Protestant work ethic, is that our work is a part of our worship. And we do that as unto the Lord, not as unto men. I, I want to 
you served the time you served a, a term in the legislature, as I mentioned. Uh, prior to that, you were um, a constitutional attorney. You've argued at uh, almost every level, um, pro-life cases, uh, religious freedom cases. Um, we and we've talked about that many times on the program: the threats to religious freedom in this country. When you came to Congress, what what surprised you most about your time in Congress? <laughs> yeah, I'm often asked that question, and and um, you know, it, it's really my answer is kind of a sad one. It, it, the most surprising thing to me when I came to Congress is the same surprise that I had when I was elected to the state legislature down in Louisiana, and that is that I, I went to the to the House floor, both in Baton Rouge and ultimately in, in Washington, and um, I, I was I was surprised to see that. Many members of Congress are elected to serve, and they don't uh, truly have a fully formed philosophy of government. Some of them are not even crystal clear on what their worldview is, you know, and and so it has an effect on their work and the decisions they make. And, you know, people often, uh, they're perplexed that that certain elected officials can be all over the map. They can be for one issue one day and for the opposite thing three weeks later. And and, and the, the reason is, as you all know, Tony, is that many of them, uh, many people are elected to office, and they're not really sure what it is they're trying to advance. If you mm-hmm. don't have a fully formed philosophy of government, if you don't have your principles set in stone, your foundation set before you get there, then you're going to be easy prey for all the influences that are out there. And so um, that, that to me, is the most surprising and and, and, and the most concerning, honestly. And um, so we've been working since I got to Congress to, to, to try to advance these principles and to encourage others to do the same, to, to remember, you know, what, what does it mean to be a Christian in public service? What does it mean to be a conservative first, you know? It's these basic principles that have always defined us. It's individual freedom and limited government and the rule of law and peace through strength and fiscal responsibility, free markets, human dignity. I mean, these are essential foundational principles that define who we are as Americans. So we're there to advance those ideals, but but more fundamentally and more basic than that is we have to live out our faith and right. be true to the to the, the Christian principles, and that's what we try to do every day. And and I I have found uh, the same observations when I was in the legislature. You see, and I see this in, as I work with members of Congress, um, people who, who who agonize over decisions. And I know that some decisions they're, they're, they're I mean it. There are some tough decisions, no no question about that. But when you have a fully formed understanding worldview and understanding of the role that government plays they're not that difficult because you have a set of principles from which you work and 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 i think that's the problem that many people have as you pointed out they just don't have that foundation and and you make no apologies for the fact that your faith as a christian helps guide every decision you make yeah and 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 we we often have to explain to people that that's entirely consistent with our American ideals is what, you know, the founders said. I mean, Washington was our, you know, the father of our country. He said in his famous farewell address, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And, you know, John Adams, the second president, he came next. He said, you know, our Constitution's made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And what they were trying to say is that we set up a form of government that relies upon a vibrant expression of faith in the public square. We, we rely upon virtue. Uh, if you're going to have a self-governing people, uh, by and for the people, as Lincoln later said, then, then you have to have this, this common sense of decency. And the only seedbed of that, the only seedbed of virtue, is in is in religious faith. I mean, men have to understand that they they owe an allegiance to a higher power, and they have a judge that is above 
all others. And, and that is what has guided our country since its founding, and that's what's going to continue to guide it. So we, we couldn't, we shouldn't make apology for it. We should go out and, and live that boldly and encourage others to do the same. Are you concerned about our ability as Americans to, to live out that faith in, in such a way that it does impact the world around us? Do you see us as, as that freedom being vulnerable? It certainly is, you know, and, and back when I was doing religious liberty defense work early in, you know, my career in the early 2000s, you know, I, I remember we used to go around and I would be invited to, you know, to do pulpit supply and do, you know, guest messages in churches on Sunday mornings. And I, I would be up there and I would say, look, my, my little soapbox sermon was, Here's, these are the top five threats to religious freedom in America. This is like, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002. And, and people would listen, and they'd be very intrigued, but they say, oh, Brother Mike, that's a compelling message, but that'll never happen in America, you know. And all the things that we were all talking about back then, Tony, mm-hmm. you were doing the same thing. I heard you in those pulpits, and everything that we were concerned about is, is happening now. And we are, you know, religious freedom is under assault. It is uh, imperiled. That's why you do all the work that you do, you know, the, the, the sanctity of human life. All these essential principles uh, are you know, are in jeopardy because we have more and more people who are losing sight of those essential truths. And, I, you know, I had a, a mentor when I was really young tell me one time, he said, Mike, you know what, always remember this. What is popular isn't always right, and what is right isn't always popular. You know, and, and we, we have to remember that even in politics, that in, you know, highest levels of elected office in the country, that's a pretty simple axiom that everybody needs to follow. Yeah, especially in a, in a day and age where polls uh, determine so much but determine it wrong. Um, if anything, we should know that polls cannot be trusted. Uh, Mike Johnson, I want to step back for a moment from the policy side of this. I know we're not talking specific policy, but I want to talk about the family because that's one of the reasons we do what we do uh, to to uphold the sanctity of life, the centrality of the family as created by God. This has been a journey for your wife, Kelly. I mean, you know, when you all got married, this wasn't necessarily on the horizon. Uh, how was uh, how did she feel um, about this call into the political arena? Well, um, all of us have to have long suffering uh, spouses to do this work. Uh, it, it, it is uh, it's difficult in the family. A lot of time away, and, and Kelly and I have four children, as you know. And, uh, we have two in college now, and a ninth grader and a, and a fourth grader. We have our hands full, and. Um, the only way we're able to balance that is just, you know, our reliance upon uh, our faith and, and our family and, and support structure around us and, and and the knowledge and the understanding that we're both called into it. You know, I wouldn't have done this if um, I wasn't convinced of that and Kelly wasn't convinced of it. And um, it's it's a, a neat thing. We when, when we first got into public service, we first got elected to the state legislature, we had our oath of office ceremony. Um, this is six years ago or so. And um, we had all four of the children come up on the stage with us and raise their hands as well. We took the oath as a family because we made the decision as a family. And there was a pastor sitting in the back on the back row of that event, and he came up to us afterwards, and he said, I'm telling you, the Lord just spoke to my heart. We have a word for you. He said, what is it, Pastor? He said, I'm telling you, when you all were up there, I just saw the light of God around the whole family. And he said, "He want, the Lord wants you to know something. He, he wants you to know that that, that he's going to give your children an extra measure of grace. That's what he just told me, that, that you know, you're called into this arena, you're going to sacrifice a lot of time with them, but God wants you to know he's going to cover them. And I'm telling you, Tony, that is our testimony. God has done that for our family, our kids. They're all just doing phenomenally well. They all, they're all just 
talented and bright and, and covered. They know who they are and who they serve. They walk, you know, in the light of God. And, I mean, that is the greatest blessing. If it wasn't for that, we couldn't do this. And I'm, I'm grateful to God for it. But but I, I also want to point out, because I agree with, with that assessment, both of us, I've interacted with, uh, I mean, I've known Kelly for since before you all married, but mm-hmm. and, and it's what I see encouraging is that you know she partners with you as you do these teachings and, and she's a part of your ministry and, and I think that's important that we involve our families. This is as you say, it's it's a family affair. We're all involved in it. But talk a little bit about being a father, about how you have to be intentional in really investing into in pouring into the lives of your children. Oh, man. Yeah. It, and it's such a challenge when, when, you know, in Congress, you know, on a typical week, I'm required to be in Washington four out of seven days a week, you know. And so um, that's another thing you and I have talked about many times over the years is because your schedule has been the same way. And that it, when we're home, we focus and we're so intentional about making that quality time, you know, to, to, to make up for the lack of quantity sometimes. And and it's, it's you know, there's so many people that are in that that. Uh, a scenario because of their jobs, travel, or they serve in the military, or they're on the road for work, or whatever, and and we just have to remember that 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 matters so much to our kids, and it's the longest lasting legacy we can give them is our is our time, right? And um, you know we we have to sow into them. Each of them are individual, and and um, it, it takes a lot, but it's always worth it, and and they realize that as well. Yeah, it's it's. Um Nothing gives a a father greater pleasure than to see his children walking with the Lord and and seeing that, you know, it, it really, I know people told me this, it, it goes by fast. Um, and I said, yeah, sure. When you're changing diapers um, or supervising the changing of diapers, my wife did most of the diapers, but, the, you know, you, you think it's going to last forever, but it really doesn't. It goes by so fast and it's, uh, it is a joy uh, to see your kids walking with the Lord. Speaking of, of, of kids and young people, what what would be your message to those young Christians out there that are contemplating the future and what God might have them do? Man, that's a great that's a great um, question. I, I, I speak to a lot of uh, young people and, and um, I always tell them to, to, to do, you know, some of the things, things we're talking about tonight is that, um, you know, they have to be uh, settled in their own worldview and what they believe and what they know and, and always, always follow the owner's name. You know, the, the, the Word of God is our guide for life. It is It, it will never fail you. God will never forsake you. And, I, and I, as I like to tell my own kids and I tell others, that, you know, the, the calling upon a, a Christian young person, you know, my son Jack just began ninth grade uh, this year. And I said, Jack, you know, you're leaving eighth grade, you're going into high school, new setting. I said, listen, I want you to be real intentional about this. With it. You know, the calling of a Christian young man or young woman is that you are not called to be a thermometer. You're called to be a thermostat. What does that mean, Jack? You know, what does a thermometer do? Well, a thermometer goes into a new environment, takes the temperature, and adjusts to it. That's not what we do. A Christian young man or woman is called to be an atmosphere changer, to be a thermostat. So you walk in and you hold that standard. Raise the standard. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, Tony? Um, you, you raise the standard. You live according to that truth that you know, and it will change the atmosphere you're in. And you'll be, you know, people will look to you. And, you know, the deal is right now in this culture right now, people are dying for truth and authenticity. They want to know that there really is an absolute, that there's a truth, that there's a standard. And those handful of people, those faithful ones, Second Chronicles 69, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are wholly committed. There's only a few in every generation, but if you'll do that, God will give you his blessing. He'll, he'll give you his platform, 
his promotion principles will set in place and he'll give you things that will amaze everyone to do because it won't be you it'll be him through you that's yeah. a super cool thing that is uh, that is really good mike uh, on the way out here we're almost out of time how can our listeners be praying for you and your colleagues Hey, thank you. You know, we're in a in a philosophical battle for the ages right now. It's a political one, you know, but ultimately, really, all this we both know is a spiritual battle. Um, and it's a battle with huge implications for the future of the country. So the, the, the prayer request is, as you know, there's a lot of strong Christian brothers and sisters who serve in Congress, the big group. We meet for Bible study and prayer regularly and all that. They, they pray for, for their wisdom and, and their stamina and, and protection and stamina for their families as well. That That would be key. Yeah, well, we will certainly do that. Mike Johnson, I want to thank you uh, for joining us today and uh, appreciate your friendship and your faithful service to our nation and to the kingdom of God. Amen, brother. Thank you for your example. Appreciate it always. Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana's 4th Congressional District. You can find out more about Mike and uh, the work that he does. Go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. And again, if you missed any of today's program, it's all archived at TonyPerkins.com. You can uh, look it up all right there. And folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And, and please do pray for the men and women in Congress, many, many men and women of deep faith. Pray for them. Hold them up um, before the Lord. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 